Before we get going with this week's episode, a word from our friends at Keeneland. The 2021 fall meet is well underway. We're about halfway through, a couple weeks left, and you want to make sure you get involved. Specifically, a couple things to highlight. The new Turf Pick 3. $3 minimum wager follows the same rules as the traditional Pick 3. There's a 15% takeout. Uh, It's really something that has been a, a major success for the folks down at Keeneland. A lot of people have been supporting it. If you haven't, you should certainly give it a look. Um, if you're playing at an ADW or at a wagering terminal, it will be listed as the Keeneland Turf Pick 3. Also, those of you looking to make some wagers, uh, Keeneland Select is a special bonus for wagers on Keeneland. New signups who wager $200 in the fall meet will receive $100 back into their account. Wager another $100 for a total of $300. In your first 30 days, you will receive another $100 back. So all-encompassing, all told in a nutshell, bet $300 on Keeneland's fall meet as a new member. You'll get $200 back. You have to use the promo code ITM21. You already know there's all sorts of great racing, stakes action galore down at Keeneland. Multiple guaranteed wagers to sink your teeth into pick fours, pick fives, etc. All of that and more. At the Keeneland 2021 Fall Meet. We've only got a couple weeks left. Make sure you get involved. Now, without further ado, on to episode 87 of the show. What's going on? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, October the 18th, 2021. This is episode 87 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. You can find the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernier Show. You'll get this episode along with the 86 Prior, this week's show is going to be dealing with the Breeders' Cup and taking a look at Del Mar specifically. I understand this may not be a perfect apples-to-apples comparison, but I've done this in the past. We did it last year with Keeneland. Let's do it with Del Mar here. Granted, it's the summer meet, and this is why I'm calling it not an apples-to-apples comparison. We're going to look at the track profile from the summer meeting and compare that to the results from the 2017 Breeders' Cup. So hopefully give you an idea of what running styles were most successful over the course of the summer at Del Mar, and also compare it to how horses won in the Breeders' Cup in 2017. And I recognize that the 2017 Breeders' Cup, the sample is this big, this big, because you only have effectively one race at each distance. The turf at a mile to a mile and an eighth, you've at least got, uh, excuse me, to a mile and a sixteenth, you've at least got a few more races to pull from. But to be fair, not that I would be basing anything off of them in the big picture, but two of them were two-year-old races. So I digress. Point is, we're going to try to find out what kind of running styles you would prefer to have horses that you like possess as we get closer to the Breeders' Cup World Championships, which we're now just about two weeks away from down at the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club. Did I say two? Maybe three weeks, I guess. Hang on. One, two, yeah, let's call it three. By the time you're listening to this, maybe it's two. I don't know. You get what I'm saying. First weekend in November down at Del Mar. Uh, The other piece, before we dive into this, and and we're going to wrap up the show as we have all season long with forecasts, 538.com for this week in the NFL. But before we get into the charts and talking about track track profiles, uh, the thing that I want to get out there now is, as I pull up the calendar again, today is the 18th. We're going to do it again this year. 
the Breeders' Cup episode of this pod is going to be fueled by all of you, the listeners and the viewers. What we need in order to make this happen is three selections or three, let's call them horses, just in general, for the upcoming Breeders' Cup. And I recognize that you're not going to be able to look at the entirety of what these fields look like or what the post draws are going to be, this, that, and the other. But we're going to work with what we've got to work with. I need submissions no later than 2 o'clock on Friday, October the 29th. I need a most likely winner in any of the Breeders' Cup races, in your opinion. I need a value play, a horse that you're looking forward to that you think you're going to get fair value on for what you deem to be fair odds. doesn't have to be a 50 to 1 shot. If you think that you're going to get, I'm making it up, 2 to 1 on essential quality and you think that's value, have at it. Heck, you can kill two birds with one stone. That could be a favorite that you like as well. A favorite that you like, a value play for any of the Breeders' Cup races, and a favorite that you're against. I'm going to say I'm going to stay away from the whole so uh, marble mouth. I'm going to stay away from the long shot idea because that can go either way and that could very easily fit into a value play. But the idea of identify a favorite that you're with, identify a favorite that you're against and a value play. It can be a bomb or it can be a horse that you think, you know what? I'm going to get 5 to 1 and I think the horse should be 3 to 1. We're going to hammer that one. We need those submissions, and keep the video, please, to about 60 seconds. 60 to 90 seconds, no more than that. If it gets beyond that, I'm going to have to throw it out, just simply because based on what we've had when we've done this in the past, there have been so many clips that producer Craig needs to throw together, and I don't want the the pod then to be in three hours long. Need them no later than 2 o'clock on October the 29th. We will turn that around. That will be the Monday of Breeders' Cup Week's show. I'll do a little intro and a little outro, but you're going to find all my information in a million different places, but specifically NBC Sports Network and NBC, and also over on NBCSportsEdge.com. You're going to find all that sort of stuff. You're looking for my picks, and I'm sure we'll be doing another giant pod between this show and the In the Money Players podcast. I'm sure. That's just an assumption. Friday, October 29th by 2 o'clock. A favorite you're with, a favorite you're against, and a value play. Send those in to bernier.matt89 at gmail.com. Again, bernier.matt89 at gmail.com. 60 to 90 second clip. That way I can throw it over to producer Craig. He can put it all together. And that will be the Breeders' Cup week show of the Matt Bernier Show. So, anyway, now that that's out of the way, and I'll remind everyone again next Monday. But now that that's out of the way... Let's dive into some chart work and some track profile work for the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club. Maybe this can help you not only maybe expedite your handicapping process, but make you rethink about what you thought anyway about some of the horses coming into this year's Breeders' Cup. And now when you see that they may fit a certain running style, maybe you give them a second look. Perhaps at a price, perhaps as a favor. Who knows? But let's get into it. Track profile for Del Mar and the Breeders' Cup. Well, this is either going to be a positive or a negative for some folks. I had a lovely 25-minute piece recorded, and when I went to play it back, the wrong microphone was selected, so there was no audio. So this is going to be SparkNotes version because we got to get this thing sent over to producer Craig so we can put it together. You're looking at the Del Mar Summer 2021 track profile that I put together. The things that are not included in this, this is a personal preference, 
Um, you don't have to do it this way, but this is how I go about it. No two-year-old racing, no three-year-old restricted racing, no maiden racing. I also don't have the final week of the meet involved in here. I'm going to burn through this and then show you how that may compare or contrast to the way the Breeders' Cup races in 2017 were won and perhaps some of the horses that this would apply to here this year. Uh, less than or equal to six furlongs on the main track on average. First call, 1.6 lengths off of it. Second call, one length off of it. First call in sprints is going to be the first quarter. Second call in sprints is going to be the first half. Six and a half to seven furlongs. On average, 1.3 lengths off of it at first call, 0.8 lengths off of it at second call. Dirt routes, first call on average, 1.9 lengths off of it, second call, 0.3 lengths off of it. In routes, the first call is going to be a half mile into the run. Second call is three quarters of a mile into the run. Basically, what I'm getting at here with all of these three configurations, now keep in mind, six furlongs is going to be the dirt, uh, excuse me, six furlongs will be the Breeders' Cup sprint, seven furlongs, the Philly and Mare sprint, eight furlongs, the dirt mile. You've just ticked off a few of your big dirt races. Uh, you need to be relatively close. I think if you want to have success, it does not preclude you from winning if you don't have one of those or that sort of running style, but it's going to make life a hell of a lot more difficult for you to be successful. So you need to be a little bit closer than coming from farther off. Again, doesn't mean that you can't win like that, but it was much more difficult over the summer meeting at Del Mar to win if you didn't have that sort of running style. As far as the turf is concerned, five furlongs on grass. This is one of the more interesting ones to me because while the average is 1.8 lengths off at first call, 1.4 lengths off at second call, also worth noting, second call for me, I use three-eighths of a mile into the run as opposed to a half mile in because in a five furlong race, a half mile into it, it's effectively over. I'm more interested in the three-eighths call, so as they're rounding the turn, uh, if you take out some of the larger numbers in here, I mean, you can see that you've got horses that rally from six and a half, five lengths off to four and a half, three and a half. And then at the second call, you've got horses even still rallying from almost five lengths off of it, four and a half lengths off of it. For me, it just really hammers home that yes, speed is important in these short turf races. And again, this is coming from someone who is a disaster at turf sprints, but the big picture I think if you're good enough in the Breeders' Cup, especially, you can rally from off of it and still be a threat to win some of these races going shorter on grass. Eight furlongs on turf. This is going to apply to the mile and the two juvenile races on grass. 3.7 lengths off of it at first call, 2.4 lengths off of it at second call. I think it just really reiterates or hammers home the idea that you don't want to be 100 out of it. You don't have to be pushing the pace, but you don't want to be coming from 15 out of it. It's going to make life really, really difficult unless the circumstances set up beautifully for you, which they could, who knows? That's the beauty of this. This, does, this is not the end all be all. This is something that you can use to your advantage from a handicapping standpoint to try to make life a little bit easier, maybe expedite the process some by saying, you know what? This horse who has no early speed, they're gonna need a meltdown. Maybe I don't spend so much time watching all their replays or this, that, or the other. I'm not gonna talk about the eight and a half to nine furlong distance on grass because this year, the Philly and Mare turf, which last Breeders' Cup at Del Mar in 17 was run at a mile and an eighth. It's back out to a mile and three eighths this year. So this configuration doesn't matter to me. And the nine and a half furlongs greater than or equal to, it's a bit of a smaller sample size, but the big picture for me, especially when you go through, with the exception of this one result over the summer where you had a, a horse who opened up by four and five lengths and still won, 
Most of your running has come from well off of it. A first call between two to eight lengths off of it. And second call between one and a half to five lengths off of it. If we take out the runaway speed horse, all of a sudden those numbers go up to almost five lengths and three and a half lengths at second call. So to me, all that really reiterates is the idea that, and this is just all encompassing my opinion, the way I'm approaching it, going into it saying dirt sprints, we want to be close, don't have to be on the lead, but want to be close. Dirt routes, maybe even more so, want to be pushing the lead as we're rounding that far turn, because I don't know how much farther back you can really be if you want to be considered a threat to win. Turf sprints, you may actually be able to rally from a little bit farther off of it than conventional wisdom would suggest. Turf routes at a mile, you want that, then I, the low-hanging fruit, I use Wise Dan, I use Teppin, World Approval, those kind of horses. You uh, even got Stormy, think of her. You need to be able to be within shouting range of the front and still have a late kick. Not saying that you can't win from farther back, but these horses who have that tactical ability and can still finish, they're going to have such an advantage on those who are going to be closing like freight trains, but they've got to come from a mile out. And then the longer distance turf racing at Del Mar over the summer anyway, I think you were better off coming from a little farther off of it than you would be up there actually pushing the pace throughout. So just my opinions. Let me know what you think about those ideas. And again, I apologize that this isn't going to be that brilliant deep dive that I thought I had put together for 25 minutes, but uh, it's getting a little bit late. We got to get this thing over to Craig and I'm just a dummy. You can tell I've been out of my office for a while if I'm screwing up the audio on a Zoom call. Aye, aye, aye. Now, back to 2017. This was when the Breeders' Cup was run here. Let's compare and contrast the winning running styles to what we saw over the summer at Del Mar. Rushing Fall won the Juvenile Phillies turf. This was run at a mile. Again, I'm more interested in the second call piece. She was only about a length and a half off of it. I think that's a really important thing to hammer home. You go back over here to the Dirt Mile, Battle of Midway. Second call. You need to be basically within a length or so as you hit the top of the lane. Keeping in mind, second call in a dirt route or any route in general, it's going to be three quarters of a mile into the race. So this is basically at the top of the lane. You need to be, be in position to get the job done. Mendelssohn, a very similar situation to rushing fall at the mile. Look at that second call. Rushing fall was 1.7 lengths off the lead. Mendelssohn was 1.6 lengths off the lead. You will hear something similar to that when we get back to the mile momentarily. Forever unbridled. She won the distaff. A little bit of an interesting position because I think she's a, a bit of an anomaly. And I know there are a couple other races in here at this distance that suggest it's not an anomaly. I'll explain why I believe that to be the case momentarily. Declaration of Peace at 14 to 1 won the juvenile turf sprint. As you can see from a running style standpoint, he rallied from well off of its six lengths at first call, 5.2 lengths at second call, indicating that he was probably just the best horse that day. Caledonia Road. She was another one who fit that same profile as Forever Unbridled, rallying from off of it, as did, and we'll just kind of jump to Good Magic, who was a little bit farther off. The reason I'm not fully buying into this, that horses are better suited rallying from off of it at this sort of mile to a mile and an eighth distance, is because two of these races are from two-year-olds. And two-year-olds in general, I think, are very random. You can get precociousness. I don't think there's a lot of signal in seeing what they do as far as drawing conclusions from the way that certain configurations play. So I, I think the forever unbridled piece was simply because she was the best horse. These two, I'm not suggesting either of them weren't the best, but two-year-olds, I just don't put a little, a lot of stock into how they go about winning races. There's still too much random 
to me, there's a lot of noise in that. So I would still suggest looking for horses that are more forward than rallying from off of it, unless you project there to be an absolute pace meltdown and some of these horses can take advantage. Stormy Liberal, perfect example. Again, turf sprint rallied from 5.1 and four lengths off of it at first and second call. Goes to show that if you are the best, you can rally going five eights at Del Mar on the grass. Bar of gold, seven eighths of a mile on the dirt. She rallied from 100 out of it. But to no one's surprise, when you compare that to the way that those races are typically won at Del Mar, to no one's surprise, was she a million to one? One of the longest prices that we've ever seen. So do with that what you will. I think a lot of that was circumstantial. It was also due in large part to the fact that that was a group of fillies and mares that they just weren't particularly good. She took advantage of it. She rallied from off of it. There was a wicked pace. She rolled home. I still maintain you want to be much more forward than rallying from off of it. I'm not even going to go over the Wuhita run because, again, that was run at a mile and an eighth. That doesn't matter for us this year. Philly and Mare Turf's back out at a mile and three eighths. Roy H fits the profile to a T. A length off of it at both calls. He goes off and wins. I think that's where you need to be in those six furlong races. It fits beautifully for the likes of Jackie's Warrior and maybe even a couple of the other runners. World approval. I said we'd get back to the mile configuration. And look, second call with a quarter mile left to run, he's two lengths off of it. Right in line with those two two-year-olds. Now, I do recognize I'm a little, I'm contradicting myself a little bit saying, look at the two-year-olds on the grass and, and don't acknowledge the two-year-olds on the dirt. I think it just is sort of re-emphasizing the point that that's really kind of the running style that you're looking for. Um, no, these aren't the most uh, indicative kind of races. There is a lot of randomness involved, but there is still something to be said about that is the running style that you're looking for in those kind of races. Good magic. I already mentioned talismanic out at the longer distances on turf on grass. I, I maintain, and as you can see, the way that he won, he came from about four lengths off of it at both calls. I think that's a pretty sweet spot. I don't think you want to be the one cutting out the fractions, but I don't think you want to come from 15 out of it either. You can be mid-pack and then really start warming things up as you round the far turn. I think you got a big chance to get the job done down at Del Mar. And then the Breeders' Cup Classic, gun runner, feeds into the idea that you want to be forward. You don't have to be on the lead, but you don't want to be rallying from too far off of it. And again, I cannot reiterate enough, circumstances can play into things. If you think that that classic is going to be a pace meltdown, then maybe the, that part of the profile you're not factoring in or you don't need to factor in because you think it's going to be just a catastrophe for anyone who is on the front, that it's going to take everything out of them and it's going to set up for a horse rallying from way out of it. That's up to you as the handicapper. All this is meant to do is try to give you something to think about as far as the horses who will run in the Breeders' Cup and where they're likely to be positioned in any of their given races. I apologize again for this not being perhaps as in-depth as that other one that I just recorded was, but it's time to get this thing out the door. And I still think there is enough information that we can glean and pull some, some facts from that, you know what? Keeping in mind that we took out the more random races from the Del Mar summer meet, I think you have a pretty good idea of the styles that are most successful for horses. And then when we go back and take a look at the 2017 Breeders' Cup, why some of the running styles that the winners employed may not be great representations of the usual, the norm. And keeping in mind, it's a very small sample size. You've only got 14 races total that we've talked about from a Breeders' Cup four years ago. All things to think about. Let me know what your opinion is 
of track profiles or any of this information beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now let's get to week number seven, NFL 538 forecasts, dive into some of those games. And again, overall thoughts on this track profile piece and where you agree or disagree. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Let's talk some NFL forecasts over on 538.com. If you haven't been paying attention or following along for the past few weeks, 538.com, you go through, you put in your forecast what your probability of a certain team winning any given game is. You're not factoring in the spread. You can keep track throughout the year to see how your overall projections are. And I think this is a good exercise for those of you who have never gone through and done anything, especially from a horse racing standpoint. If you haven't gone through and priced out races, This is basically what you're trying to do. You're assigning a probability to each one of the runners in a race. The difference is you're just doing it on an NFL game or the entire slate of games. So far, been a pretty solid season. Uh, 67% with the outright winners identifying who was going to win the game. Uh, This past week, week six, going into Monday night, knowing that we still got the Bills and Titans game, which I'm way, way over on the Bills right now. I think they win by 18. Uh, I have them winning 34 to 16. Uh, 10 and three headed into Monday night, a couple of tough losses, um, had Seattle last night on the road. That game didn't quite end up the way I would have hoped. They did go to overtime, but Geno coughed up the ball. Well, to be fair, I mean, it's Geno Smith. He's, he hasn't started a game in four years or whatever it is. So um, I think to me, that's just still more an indictment that Pittsburgh's got a long way to go. Uh, the other loss, the big one, anyway, I, I had the Chargers beating the Ravens and the Ravens absolutely waxed. LA 34 to 6 final. So that was a big loss for me. And then uh, a small loss. I didn't really have a major feel one way or the other for the Vikings Panthers game. Vikings end up winning 34 to 28. I had Carolina winning that game 51% of the time. So not a huge loss there. Everything else was good all around. Feel pretty good headed into the Monday night game and feel pretty good headed into the week seven slate. So let's rip through these games, uh, give you scores probabilities also factor in what I have as far as power ratings are concerned and what the differential would be from a spread standpoint. So let's start with the Thursday night game. Denver Broncos at the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are favored by four. This is an interesting game because they're really banged up, the Cleveland Browns. I don't know if Mayfield's going to play. I don't know if uh, Kareem Hunt apparently is out for a few weeks now. I don't know if Chubb's going to be ready to go on Thursday. They're pretty banged up. uh, Odell Beckham kind of came out of the game for a couple minutes uh, on Sunday with a shoulder thing. Now, Denver's not as good maybe as, well, I shouldn't say as I thought they were. I thought I still think Denver's a decent team. They just have limitations offensively. I think their defense is still solid. The spread is four in favor of Cleveland. I have this game being 20-17 to 17 with the Browns winning. Now, the spread from a power rating standpoint has the Browns favored by 5.24. So many of these things jive. I don't know that this is a game that I'm rushing to go and put a bet on, but I do have Cleveland winning 20 to 17. Washington football team at the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are nine point favorites at home. My spread has them favored by 9.65, so that's spot on. And my model has them winning 24 to 14. So all things check out there. Uh, by the way, I have the Browns winning 58% of the time. I have the Packers defeating the Washington football team 80% of the time. Atlanta Falcons at the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are home dogs. They're getting two points. Based on my spread, I have them actually favored by three. This game overall, I don't have a good feel for. I don't think either team is particularly good. My model has it 18-18. to So this is going to be another one of those games that I just go right down the middle 50-50. It's not one that I would touch because 
again, it's very difficult to really make a true assessment of which team is worse than the other. Neither of them are good. My heart, I think Atlanta's better than Miami is, but some of the numbers that suggest otherwise, it's just a stay away from me. 18 to 18, 50-50 shot from me, Atlanta at Miami. New York Jets at the New England Patriots. The Patriots are seven-point home favorites. Uh, my model has them favored by 11.27. Excuse me, my, my power ratings have them favored by 11.27. The model has them winning by 10, 20 to 10. I think that's spot on. The Patriots' big problem and the, the Sunday game against the Cowboys, I feel like, is sort of a microcosm of what the Patriots are this year. They show flashes of being able to be right there with some of the best teams. They just have those momentary brain farts, specifically offensively with the turnovers. They are coughing the ball up way, way too much, and they're not converting in the red zone. I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl team by any stretch. I think they're a fringe playoff team. I'm still very optimistic because I think these are things that can get fixed. But point being, right now, they're not one of the better teams. They're probably in the bottom half of the NFL. But I think that there's enough there to still think that they could right the ship and perhaps make a run at a postseason berth. I think they beat the Jets. I know the Jets are coming off the bye week, but this is, again, New England, the Jets... In Foxborough, I just have no faith in the Jets, period. And I'm worried about Zach Wilson. I don't know if he's that good. Uh, 79% of the time, I think the Patriots win. I think they finally get their first home uh, victory of the season. 20-10, to 10, Patriots over the Jets. Carolina Panthers at the New York Giants. The Giants are three-point dogs at home. My model says that's spot on. I have Carolina winning 17-14. to 14. Uh, Although, the interesting thing there becomes power ratings have Carolina as massive favorites. Uh, they have them as a 12.27-point favorite. Based on what I've seen the past few weeks from the Panthers, I, I've kind of done a 180 on them. I thought they were actually pretty good at the beginning of the season. Uh, maybe that had to do with beating up on some lesser teams. Uh, and who knows? You know, Getting back against a team like the Giants, maybe that'll solve everything. I just haven't been overly impressed. Sam Darnold still is he's very up and down right now. So I've got Carolina winning 17 to 14, uh, which is right on line with the three points that the Giants are catching at home as a home dog. I have them winning, by the way, the Panthers 59% of the time. Kansas City Chiefs at the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are four and a half point home dogs. This could change slightly based on the Monday night result with the Bills in town. I don't know how much it would change though, realistically one way or the other. I have the Chiefs winning 27 to 24 on the road in Nashville. Um, that comes out to a 59% probability from a point spread standpoint on the power rating side of things. I have the Chiefs as 5.65 point favorites, so the model is not quite as bullish as the power ratings are, but they're relatively close in the same ballpark. Cincinnati Bengals at the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are six and a half point home favorites. Based on the power ratings, I have the Ravens as 3.91 point favorites, so effectively a four point favorite. Uh, the model has the Ravens winning 20 to 17. Many of these numbers are jiving, but effectively it's suggesting both my model and my power ratings that six and a half is kind of a big number for Baltimore to be favored by. I wonder if a lot of that has to do with the shellacking this past weekend of the Chargers. I, I'm starting to believe in the Bengals, not just because of their record, but when you watch them play, I think they're actually a pretty good team. Uh, which, you know, maybe it is as simple as you bring in, you get a guy. You need a quarterback in the league. I'm not breaking any news there. Joey B's got something to him. He's got some, he just, he's, he feels like a dude. 
feels like the guy that can go in there and lead a team, and, and maybe he's turning things around from a culture standpoint. Uh, I don't know that the Bengals win, but I do think that they can cover that 6.5 number. I have Baltimore winning 20-17 to 17 at home. That's a 59% probability. Philadelphia Eagles at the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are 3.5-point home favorites. Uh, my model has them winning by 7, 24 to 17. My power ratings suggest this is effectively a coin flip. They've got the Raiders only favored by 0.68 points. Um, I'm leaning more toward the model. I, I just don't like Philadelphia. I don't think they're particularly good, really, at anything. Um, Hertz at least can extend plays, but I, I, I'm not convinced that anyone in that NFC East outside of Dallas is any good. So to me, I, I f- firmly believe in the model in this one, the Vegas Raiders. They may not be superstars either, but I think they are better than Philadelphia. I think they win by a touchdown. 70% of the time, I think Las Vegas defeats Philadelphia from a probability standpoint. Detroit Lions at the Los Angeles Rams. The spread is huge. The Rams are 15-point favorites at home. My model has the Rams winning 27-10, to 10, which would be covering that 15. I'm not suggesting you go out there and take that, but do with that what you will. And my power ratings have the Rams actually favored by 18.61. So in a way, both of my numbers would suggest they're going to cover the two touchdowns plus, but I, it, that's never, ever a spread that I'm looking to get involved in. Um, I do think the Rams win this game 95% of the time, which I know sounds a little overzealous, but based on all the numbers, that's what we roll with. That's what the point of putting models together is. Uh, the next game is even more bullish. Houston Texans at the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals are 17-point favorites at home. Uh, my model has them covering that. 31-10, to 10, Arizona defeating Houston. The power rating is enormous. I, again, I'm not suggesting this is how it will play out, but the power ratings have <laughs> the Cardinals favored by 27.97 points over the Houston Texans, effectively by 28. I mean, that seems highly unlikely, but I'll tell you what, this Arizona Cardinals team right now, based on all the numbers that I put in here that I use for my model, they're a freaking wagon right now. Maybe it has to do with some of the competition that they've played, but they've played some pretty good teams. Uh, I don't know if it's sustainable, but right now, it's hard to argue that either them or Buffalo or Dallas, I mean, that, those to me, well, actually, I can read you my top teams as far as the power ratings are concerned. Buffalo, number one, that's before the Monday night game. If anything, that number could grow or it could come down. Arizona, two. The Rams, three. The Cowboys, four. Then you got a little bit of a drop-off. Not a huge drop-off, but then Baltimore in, in fifth. I, I, I mean, Arizona's just been absolutely mashing teams. So do with that what you will. I have them winning 31-10. to 10. The power ratings say it's even a, a bigger discrepancy, and the spread itself is minus 17. That's another 95% probability for me. Chicago Bears at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs are favored by 13.5 at home. My model is not nearly as bullish, nor are my power ratings. The model has them winning by 10, 23-13. The power ratings have them favored by 9.72, so effectively 10 points. My model and the power ratings are kind of simpatico compared to the 13.5. That would be one that I'd probably stay away from, although I don't think anyone's going to argue that Chicago is as good or better than Tampa. Uh, I have Tampa winning this game 80% of the time. The Indianapolis Colts at San Francisco 49ers. This is an interesting one for me because, and from a gambling standpoint, it would be a stay away, but it's interesting to compare and contrast certain metrics and what one piece or one model believes compared to another. The Niners are three and a half point home favorites. 
My model has the Colts winning 20 to 13 on the road, but the power ratings have the 49ers favored by 1.43 points. So everything is a little bit all over the place there. It's a game I would stay away from. Um, Indianapolis is starting to play better, and you can understand why folks were, based on what we've seen recently anyway, why folks thought they were the clearly the pick in the AFC South, and still with the way things are trending, they're probably still going to win that division because the division sucks. But neither here nor there. Again, a game I probably will stay away from. Based on the model, it suggests the probability of Indianapolis beating San Francisco in San Francisco is 68%. I'm not nearly that high on it. And this is where a little bit of the human element comes in. I pulled that way back down. I'm only going to go in at 55% toward Indianapolis just because I feel like that's a, it's just a funny game. And I don't totally, I'm not all in on believing that Indy wins this game, you know, two thirds of the time. The last game, next Monday, New Orleans Saints at Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are four and a half point home dogs. I have the Saints winning 23 to 17 uh, based on the power ratings. Seattle is only a 1.73 point dog compared to New Orleans. So this is another game where New Orleans, all the numbers suggest they're better than I think they are, but who knows? Again, as, as more and more data is cultivated and accumulated, I think you can get a much better gauge of what some of these teams are. When I watch the Saints, I don't I don't see it, but all my numbers suggest they're they're actually better than what I think they are. Um the models suggest they win 69% of the time at Seattle over the Seahawks. I pulled that one back as well. I'm going to go down to 60% with that just because, again, I is telling me one thing. Numbers are telling me something else. Very similar to what we talked about with the horses. What do the speed figures tell you versus what does your eye tell you when you watch the tape? You try to marry the two, but sometimes there can be pretty tremendous differences between them. So there you have it. Those are the games. You've got a number of teams on by in week seven. Let me know what your thoughts are about any of these games beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt, or just in general about how things have played out so far through the 21-22 NFL season. And if you're curious about other plays for other sports on Twitter, I've been throwing out all my baseball postseason plays. So far, so good. Things have been clicking along there. If you're looking for NHL or Premier League action, head on over to NBCSportsEdge.com. That's going to do it here for episode 80. What episode is this? 87. Wow. Episode 87 of the show. However you listen. Thank you for doing so many ways, as usual, to find the pod. You know the deal by now. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. If you head on over to YouTube, search Bar Matt Burney or show, you get this episode along with the 86 prior. And again, start thinking about Breeders' Cup, especially if you want to be on the show, because that Breeders' Cup episode where all of your information is submitted, that's going to happen again. We're going to put that out. I need most likely winner, a bit of a value play, and a vulnerable favorite, a horse that you think at a short price you can beat, a horse that you just think is the bee's knees from a favorite standpoint, and who's a horse that you're interested in betting on you think you're going to get some value. You need to send those on over. You know the drill by now. Thank you again, all of you, for your continued support. It means a great deal to me. And until next Monday, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 87 of the Matt Bernier Show. <laughs>